Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. We started a series last week called Life Well Lived. We're looking at what a life well lived for a Christ follower looks like and how to live as re-gifters of the gifts that God has given us. He's given us so much. And when we stop to really think about what he's given us, it's just mind-blowing. And then when we realize that he has given us these gifts for a reason, it, it gives so much purpose to our life. And today I want to talk about a particular kind of gift that every single one of us have from the moment we're born. It's a little bit different. You know, last week we talked about you know, some people have five bags of gold and two bags or one bag. How much has the, the master given you? This isn't like that. This is, we all are born and wake up every day with the same amount, exact same amount of this gift. If you're someone who has one of these philosophies of, you know, everybody should have the same amount of something, well, number one, you're probably a communist, so okay. <laughs> but number two, you're going to love this because the gift we are talking about today is time. Nobody has more time in the day than anybody else. We all have the same amount of time. No, you can't earn more time. You can try to save it, spend it, waste it, whatever it is, but you wake up with 24 hours. You have 24 hours a day, 86,400 seconds. We all have that same amount. And how you re-gift that gift of time that you have is a, is a, is a good reflection of how good of a re-gifter you are of what God's given you. Now, We've known for a long time, we've talked in here before about how we live in a, a very consumer-driven culture, right? That's not a surprise to anybody. This culture of ours attempts to flood our lives with more stuff, more stuff than we need. You just turn on the TV, radio, whatever it is, internet, every article you look at, it's constantly trying to fill your life with more stuff than we need. We're going to touch on a, a little bit more about that next week. But another effect that this culture has on us is that it tries to stuff our day with nonstop activity, nonstop hurrying. There's more stuff in our day. We're rushing about trying to fill every spare moment we have. Human beings are in more of a hurry today than we've ever been in our whole life. We can travel faster. We can get to the place faster than ever before, but it hasn't stopped us from being in a hurry. Even after we're there, we're still in a hurry. Anybody ever, every place you go is a contest against the world you know, against you, you're trying to beat your own time. I, I don't know how many times I've gone to Kroger and I try to beat my last time, you know, and it's right around the block. But I'm like, I could get there a little faster. And it's a game, right? I'm going to get in the fast lane. I'm going to get in this lane. If I see somebody up there who looks like they're lollygagging, I'm like, not today. And, you know, we can go around them. Turn lane only. Uh-uh, that's for others, not me. You know, we can get around people. We get there as fast as we can. Now, how many of you ever gotten to Kroger, H-E-B, wherever it is you like, and you get out there and you made record time and you just thought, Man, I made the best time. Now I'm just going to relax and take my time grabbing my items from the store. No, you're like, oh, this is amazing. I bet I can get my stuff in three minutes or less. I'm going to be back out here, right? That's just how we operate. We just keep going. We keep going. We, we've traded the normal give and take of living, the business of living, for the busyness of activity, which is not the same as living. We've traded the business of living for the busyness of activity, which is strange because you would think that in our culture, modern technology, all these conveniences that we have should mean that we have more free time than at any point in history. But that's not really the case, is it? There's a hilarious quote. This is from Time Magazine. It's back in 1967. It's a quote from a Senate subcommittee hearing. I know it sounds really enthralling. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts. Senate subcommittee hearing quotes from 1967 Time Magazine. It's going to get wild. 
Here we go. It says computers, robots, and other wizardries. I love that word, wizardries. They promise to take the American work, they make the American worker so efficient that our income and our GNP are just going to rise like crazy while our work week shrinks. They predicted that by 1985, that was the distant future for them, 1985, we would be working just 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year, we, year and we would all be retiring at the age of 38. And that will leave the only challenge is of finding a way to enjoy all that leisure. So my question for you today is, what are you guys doing with all your leisure? What do you all do? What do you do with the day, all right? You just kind of get your Henry David Thoreau on and walk through the woods writing poetry. That's, you know, that's what we do, right, every day? Because we just got all this time. I just realized I should have retired like 10 years ago. What the heck am I doing here? I'm, I am way behind on this. So what's crazy, of course, is that this hasn't happened, obviously. Technology, progress, innovation, all the promised freedom and efficiency, it hasn't delivered on that promise. And so in this series, we're going to allow God to wake us up. We want God to sort of take us by the shoulders and shake us a little bit out of our stupor so we can live lives well-lived, not lives of sleepwalking, through stress, sleepwalking through self-centeredness. If you live that kind of life, it can result in, one, either overcommitment, which I run into, you know, so many people who are just overcommitted, or they live lives just completely zoned out into kind of a stupor. And both of those, by the way, will waste your life. That's not the only two options, overcommitment or zoned out in a stupor. So we're asking God how can we see ourselves? How can we see the gifts that God puts in our hands, not as just for our own enjoyment, but as opportunities for regifting so that our lives matter and Jesus is exalted through us into the lives of those around us? Because we're called here to make a difference. That is what we are called to do, to be a gift to other people. So here's the big idea I want to drive at today. We want to be courageous enough to say no to the things that we need to say no to, even if they're good, so that we can say the resounding yes to the most important things in our lives. I want us to be able to be courageous enough to say no to the things that we need to say no to, even those good things, even, even wonderful things, so that we can say a big resounding yes to the most important thing in our life. And, and how do we schedule our lives intentionally so that we can invest heartily in what is most important, which is relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with other people. I had the most amazing encounter yesterday. I am not making this up. I got my hair cut yesterday. Thanks for noticing. Um, <laughs> I'm about two millimeters off. And I got a little barbershop just around the corner from my house. And my barber slash therapist, uh, she's awesome. We always have neat conversations. She's telling me about her kids and her, her family back in Mexico. She tells me about them. And, and uh, yesterday was so cool. I sit down, hey, Maida, how you doing? And she said, she said, I'm doing good, but you know, everybody's so stressed out. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, all my customers, they, they come and they sit down. They're all in such a hurry. They're so stressed out. She said, you know what's got me worried? Like 75% of my customers lately are getting divorced. I said, really? And she's just full of all this wisdom. You know, she, she cuts hair. She's, she said, she said, because everybody would rather work more than be with their families. And I was like, tell me some more. You know, I, I need some good material for tomorrow. <laughs> and she tells me, you know what? I got to work really hard to make ends meet. 
I work hard to, to put food on the table and to help put shoes and clothes on my kids. And she said, and I could work more. I could do more shifts and have more people that I cut their hair, but I would rather work only five days a week so that I can be with my kids because this is the time they need me. And if I don't, they'll be gone in a blink. And I'm just like, will you speak into the mic? This is amazing. Amazing. That is so true. So first of all, let me, let me tell you some statistics about our time and how we spend our time. If you feel like if you're here today and you feel like you don't have enough time, those 24 hours, those 86,000 seconds is just not enough. You need a few more. Here's where maybe your time is going. Number one, the average person in the U.S. now watches about 34 hours of television each week. 34 hours of television. This is almost another full-time job. So we work our full-time job. We come home, we have another full-time job of TV, right? So start there. We ask the, ask the question right there. This might change your life. Just what would it be like for a couple of weeks if I didn't watch any television? <gasps> Some of us, that stresses you out right now, right? Maybe we need to fast it. You know, coming up, starting April 1st, we're going to have a 20-day fast before we come up to Easter. We do this in the past few years. We often have had a Daniel faster. This year, we're doing a slightly different. Uh, we're just opening it up to anything you want to fast for those few weeks right before Easter. And maybe for you, it's television. Fast it. See what happens. It would be amazing what you could do with that time. All of a sudden, you'd have like that, you know, 34 hours. Um, okay, here's another one. People who use the internet for fun, for fun whether it's an kind of an ethnically neutral site like YouTube or social media or something destructive like porn, spend roughly 100 minutes a day online. That's 100 minutes a day. That's on top of all the TV. So that's, that's, that's getting close to two hours of is internet time. And then we find out this. 88% of U.S. consumers report that they use a mobile device as a second screen even while watching TV. Guilty, I have to say, right? Because our brains have been so unrewired for focused attention. The TV won't even keep our full attention. We can't even give the poor television our full attention anymore, right? we got to have this up. And I'm doing this all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I have this up and I have the movie. Yeah, I could, I'm, we'll see what's going on, right? We have two screens going on. So we're combining the, that's a lot of screen times, a lot of drawing away. Here's a, here's a fascinating fact here. The average person checks their phone about 150 times a day. That's just short of six, every six waking minutes. Wow. Now, just saying that, some of you are jonesing already because you need to check your phone, right? You're just feeling like, come on, get this done with this sermon so, so I can check my phone. Some of you are pretending like you're using a Bible app right now, right? <laughs> I know you are. I know it. You're like, oh, Ephesians, yes, let's see what the prophet says. <laughs> Right? Ephesians is not that funny. I can tell. You're, you're not looking at Ephesians. But there's this flood continually, and, you know, there's, we're all, we, we get that next dopamine hit, you know, when our phone buzzes or whatever it is. You know, it's just, oh, I got to click. I got to see what's the next thing. Maybe I didn't even hear a tone. I didn't hear it. I didn't feel it, but maybe somebody did, and I missed it. Maybe I should check, you know? And these repeated distractions, these little moments, they, they tweak our focus but they begin to retrain our brains. Scientists tell us it it's literally rewires our brains so that sustained attention is just abnormal in our daily experience. 
a lot of relationship. When we talk about relationship in here a lot, we're just a relationship church, right? Because we believe that's where, that's where life is happening in relationship. A lot of relationship is just sustained attention, right? Sometimes it's just attention, just engaging with a person in an undistracted way. And it's getting harder and harder and harder. <clears throat> and my wife even tells me all the time, you know, she'll, she'll tell me, she's trying to tell me something and I've got like my phone going at the same time because I think I can multitask attention. I really can't, you know, but she'll tell me, I'm going to wait for you to be done with that so I can tell you this. And she's right because I have no idea what she said. My close friends will tell you, they, they can look, look me in the face and go, you have no idea what I just told you, did you? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. So you're right, because I got to put, I got to, okay, I'm going to really listen to you. Say it again. I, you know, some people aren't that way, but I'm bad. Um, we're retraining ourselves. That we're actually training ourselves for, for this being unable to, to be undistracted. It's becoming more and more difficult. Uh, here, here's a sad statistic here. Um, 75% of parents report being too busy to read to their children at night. That's significant. 75%. So, so this affects all of our relationships, our ability to relate the, the way our minds are being wired in our time with our kids. So we want to talk today about some first steps that we can take to begin to correct some of this, and, and we can find this in Scripture. So we want to start by talking about a word that we can all relate to. It's a word that even came up here during worship tonight, today. It's so beautiful when that happens. Uh, and that word is family. Family. The Bible says... That family is life. The way it talks about family, family is the core unit of relationship in our life. We can have lots of different relationships. Family is at the core. And it makes sense because when you think about it, the God who created us, he is intrinsically all about love and family and community, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfect love, perfect harmony. Before there was anything, God was already his own family, and so family is part of this divine DNA, and, and we were created out of the heart of God, so that makes sense that as we were made in his image and his likeness, so of course family is fundamental to our, our human existence. It's how we're born into the world, we're born into family, and it's the structure in which we, we thrive throughout life. Now, some of us have, grew up with good families, some of us grew up with dysfunctional families, but it, whoever it is, However family you grew up with, it's still that core structure that we crave in our hearts. It's the, it's the thing that we were made for. It's what we crave. And this represents God's heart baked into our relational wiring, if that makes sense. And so it's not surprising that family, when we get to the New Testament, they start talking about this, this new community of believers, the church. What is this? Family becomes the model for healthy spiritual community. You see a lot of family language when you look at the New Testament. We see in 1 Timothy 5 that the church is to be like a family and that we are to find opportunities to connect ourselves in family-styled relationships that we can invest in. In fact, when we commit our lives to Christ, we become adopted into the family of God. We talked about, we sang about that this morning. We're adopted in. His blood flows in our veins. We're adopted. What we find is that in the eyes of God, we become literally, literally, and entirely part of this spiritual family. So in the church, it doesn't matter. There's not a, a dichotomy between the singles and the marrieds. It doesn't matter if you're single or married. It doesn't matter if you have kids or no kids or grandkids. Or, we are all equally valued, equally family, right here. 
For the believer, when you're adopted into the family of God, you are grafted into a family, and that family, in the eyes of God, is not less meaningful than your immediate biological family. It is a family that transcends your natural, your natural family. It's your supernatural family, right? That's the picture we have in Scripture. The family around you this morning, right here, it, it's not just a second-tier circle in your lives, or it shouldn't be. According to, to Scripture, it doesn't just describe, you know, it's not just a metaphor for sort of this club that you belong to right now. You are part of the body of Christ itself. It's the picture that we see in the first century church. These, the, these first Christians, they, they left behind their culture's paradigm of family, their traditional definitions of family and clan, and they welcomed each other as new family, the, the, the family of God. As we'll see, it's not a rejection of your biological family. We're not saying, oh, reject, you know, like some kind of cult or something like that. It's about expanding your circumference to include spiritual family. Where God moves us, he's continually moving us to expand the circle. We're expanding the circle to include spiritual family into our family. I find it interesting, in the New Testament, we have these symbols uh, that rally us together as a family. We have these things in... In church language, we call them ordinances. And in kind of Protestant evangelical circles like ours, we have two ordinances. Uh, some, some different Christian traditions have others. I think Lutherans have like four. Catholics may have seven. Um, but we have, we have two ordinances. And one of them is, is communion, which we did last week together, if you remember that. We got together, we do communion. Communion is based, it's scriptural, it's based on uh, the Passover Seder that the Jewish people used to do, and it's based on that, but it grew out of that, and that Passover Seder was a family-style meal. And so communion has always been a family-style event, too. What we're doing in communion is we come together and we say, uh, we're as, as a family, and we're experiencing the salvation of Christ, but that salvation, it didn't just save us individually into heaven. Commu that salvation, what God does, he saves us into this beautiful experience of a unified global family. We, we have been saved into family. And then the other ordinance we have in, in the church is water baptism. And even water baptism, even though it's an individual act, you go down in the water and you're saying, you're signifying that, that I've decided to follow Jesus, but it's still, there's something, it has a huge communal aspect is, is woven into it. When you think about it, any individual could baptize themselves. If the object, if the goal was get yourself under the water and you're good, all we would say is, okay, go home, take a bath, fill out this form, and, you know, you're one of us, right? But we don't do that. It's physically not necessary for someone else to dunk you. You know how to do this. But it's never recorded in Scripture that someone baptizes themselves. Never once. Never once. There's always someone else doing the baptizing. And that's because baptism is, is never just me making a declaration to God. It's also me being welcomed into the family of faith. Right? The, the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says, We are all baptized by the one spirit into the body of Christ. That's us. This is the body of Christ. There's Christ and there's the body of Christ. That's us. We're baptized into this body. 
Which is a good time, by the way, to remind everybody, next week we're having baptism. We're having water baptism after our service. And if you're here and you've never been water baptized, you follow Jesus, you've decided to follow Jesus, you're, you're, you're a Christian, consider yourself a Christ follower, come be water baptized if you haven't done that. Because it's something the Bible tells us to do. It's something that is just such a wonderful experience. And uh, the Bible tells us that it's being, it, you're making a public declaration. You're being baptized into the family of God. So we're going to do that after service next week. If you've never been baptized, let them know at the Welcome Center before you leave. Hey, I'd like to sign up for that. They'll let you know some information, give you information. What are the next steps and how to come prepared for that? That's going to be a good time. Um, so baptism is important for anybody who wants to say they come up out of that water and they're baptized into a new family. So with that in mind, let's, let's take a look at what Jesus says about family in our Bibles. If you, have them, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Mark chapter 3. We're going to take a look at verses 31 and onward. Let me set up the scene real fast here. Jesus is teaching in a home. He, he's, you know, he's traveling minister, and now he's in a home, and it is jam-packed with people. He is getting it done. He is preaching. He's healing. The home is packed. People are outside the home, and... Uh, Along come his family. His family comes along. It says his mothers and brothers arrived. And, and if we back up about 10 verses, we won't read it, but if you back up, you find out where they've been. The, his brothers actually think he's a little nuts. They've come to, you know, let's get Jesus and take him away because, you know, he thinks he's healing people again or something like that. And his mom's there kind of to keep the peace. His mom knows, knows better. She was sort of there, you know, in the virgin birth. So, so that had to be an awkward family to grow up with, right? If your brother comes to you and says, yeah, so I'm the son of God, worship me, that's going to create tension, a little stress. So Jesus' brothers at this point don't think much of him. What's interesting is that later on they become some of the apostles that give their life uh, for him. So that's amazing. But right now, his brother, mother and brothers arrived. They stood outside. They sent word calling for him. The crowd was seated around him, and those sent to him said, look, your mother, brothers, and sisters are outside looking for you. So he's in the middle of the crowd. They tell him, hey, your mom and brothers are here. In verse 33, well, who is my mother, Jesus says. Who are my brothers, Looking around at those seated around him in a circle, he said, look, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. And here he inserts the word sister here, which I think is beautiful, because we all know that from this time and onward, uh, Jesus had female followers. He did. He had women who were his disciples, which was just completely radical and unprecedented for a rabbi of his day uh, to have. Um, yes, he had the 12 male disciples that he, he trained uh, to become apostles, but he had disciples who were male and female, and we see that continue throughout his ministry and then into the upper room and Pentecost and uh, throughout the New Testament church. You have people like Tabitha, whose uh, Greek name was Dorcas, and uh, she uh, very clearly, it says in Acts chapter 9, that she was a disciple of Jesus. So anyway, so Jesus here, he answers, brothers and sisters and mothers, you're my family. And that's just one of many places. Uh, over in Luke 18, which is also rep uh, repeated in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus says, anyone who has left family or homes, possessions, or people are going to receive more in this life as well as eternal life. So he's, he's showing here, these, this is a picture of people re-gifting what they have, re-gifting the gifts they've been given. And, and we see this so beautifully in the church today, in our church, right here at Generations. I'm just so blessed all the time. Uh, we have folks 
So many of you who will receive a blessing in some way, you'll receive a blessing, whether it's like on the job or a bonus or inheritance or something like that, and, and, and they don't just consume it for themselves, they, they, for their own enjoyment, they share it with others, they give it into the kingdom of God. Many of you gift your stuff, uh, you know, for, for the use of the kingdom, your cars, your homes, to be a blessing for other people. Uh, you open up your homes to others who need a place to stay. Um, many of you use your time off work. We have people who, uh, they, they'll, even vacation time though, that you've earned uh, to go and bless others around here. We have guys who, who go and bless and, and, uh, others to work on people's houses. Joy Mozzie and Dan Smith, some of these guys are just so awesome. They go and, and bless other people, work on their homes. Um, we have people who take their vacation week uh, during the summertime to come help with VBS to be a blessing to kids. Take a vacation week, right? You could go to like the Bahamas, and they're here helping kids. It's just so beautiful that they do that. Um, people who volunteer for that, uh, people who volunteer on their Fridays for Rayford Hope, um, uh, folks who have, a, if you have a Friday off, they, they'll come on their Fridays. So, uh, we have several folks who come on Friday right before work. They're like, hey, you know, I got 20 minutes before I have to be at work, but I want to help. And it's just such a blessing to see people do that, just to come and gift their time. They're gifting their time. Uh, by the way, we have Rayford Hope this Friday. And um, yeah, so come out and gift, uh, come gift your time with us. Uh, be praying for Melissa. Her, her foot is injured. That's why she's not here today. So be praying for her. So uh, I'll probably be doing that for her. So please come help me. Um, yeah, so it'll be good. That's this Friday. Um, uh, but, but we have so many people who just gift. We just, and we're constantly just praising God for the people who they receive a gift. And one of their first thoughts is, how can I gift? How can I, how can I share? How can I share this? Because, and these are people, their eyes have been opened. Your eyes have been opened to the fact that as I give away, as I give away, I move into the family of faith. And my, my gain is shared by others. Uh, my brothers and sisters. Some of you uh, host home life groups. We have lots of you that host, have hosted a home life group uh, or a Bible study in your home. And you're literally saying during those, those hours, you know, what was just my home becomes our home. And throughout the church, we, we have more and more of these places, these places of welcome, and they become places of worship um, where we just share. We share what we have, uh, both in, in our possessions and in our time. Jesus says, when I follow Christ... I live, when I live this re-gifting sort of lifestyle, I actually gain family. I actually gain more family. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, when we look at that last story there, it could seem to us that Jesus is, is uh, kind of dissing his, his home family. He's prior, almost like he's prioritizing spiritual family so much that he's dismissing his biological family or not taking care of them. And Jesus is making a big point here. He's, he, you know, he's kind of making a big point in this passage. But elsewhere we do see that Jesus is shown taking care of his uh, biological family. Uh, over at the in, end of his life, in fact, when he's hanging on the cross, some of his final words is to care for his family, um, making sure that John, his disciple, is going to take care of Mary, his mother. And, uh, and John does that. John sort of adopts her as his mama. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, and so he's not abandoning his physical family, but, but as we said, he's enlarging the circle. He's, he's calling physical family to graft into this, this spiritual family. And, and, you know what, and when you start to live this lifestyle, the lines between physical or like immediate family and church family, the lines get, start getting blurry, and that's good. That's a good thing. Those lines get blurry. Uh, God is not calling you to neglect 
your biological family, right? So don't, don't go out here and say, okay, I think God's calling me. I'm leaving my spouse and my kids. It's all y'all's, you know. No, 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 right? In fact, Paul says later in the New Testament, you know, if you don't take care of your own family, your home family, you're worse than an infidel, uh, which sounds really bad. So don't do that. Um, but we're, we're called to enlarge the boundaries of what we call family, to be a reflection of God's desire for all people to become his family. Okay, so with all this in mind, let's take, uh, let's, let's, finish by looking at a few uh, practical ways that we can work this out in our life, okay? Here's some practical steps you can start this week. Number one, number one, this is important. If you're taking notes, leave time in your day for divine interruptions. Leave time in your day for divine interruptions. Allow God to retrain how you think of interruptions, okay? Here's what I mean. All of us have interruptions all day long, right? That's called life. You have interruptions. They happen all through the day. They're inevitable. What is insane to me is that we often still plan our day as if there won't be any interruptions. Any of you like this? Like you plan your day down to the minute? You know, you got everything just... And then, you know, and then we get really stressed out. And we've been out of shape when something interrupts our day. Like, how could this happen? As if there was any other possibility. Of course, of course you're going to have interruptions. So plan them into your day. Uh, Create what's called margin, right? A lot of time management gurus have talked about that. You've probably heard about margin. Uh, Time, you know, planning margin into the day... Uh, the other day I was, I was helping my youngest son with his writing in his, for school, writing his, his story, and, and he, was wanting, he was writing from edge to edge of the paper. You know how you go? And, and so I was showing him how he, see that little faint pink line there? You know, start from inside there and stop before you get to the next pink line. You know, th- those two lines, th- that creates margin. It helps things be neater. It gives you some room when you need to write a little note in there or something like that. You know, I need to make a correction. Margin, that's that margin. Uh, and, and so many of us need to start scheduling in the pink, inside the pink. We go right to the edge of the page. Um, but here, here to me, and that's always good. That's just good to keep you less stressed out and that sort of thing. But as Christ followers, when we're talking about the kingdom, I, here's to me an even more poignant reason to plan for interruptions and even to look for divine interruptions. What you and I call interruptions are very often opportunities for some of God's greatest miracles. What you and I call interruptions are often opportunities for our greatest times of growth those times. So I think you think for a second about the life and ministry of Jesus. So he went from town to town, healing, teaching. That was planned. But some of the most amazing stories that we have, the most amazing miracles, changed lives happen in Scripture in a moment that was unscripted, that took him off of his agenda, that weren't on the agenda. Uh, think about the, the woman who was bleeding and touched him and she immediately was healed. He had to stop what he was doing. He stopped because he felt like, he says he felt the power go out of him, right? He's like, whoa, what just happened there? That, was, that wasn't planned. God's power flew out of him. There's a story of, of a Canaanite woman who came, and she's begging Jesus to heal her daughter. It's a very interesting conversation. We'll teach about it sometime. Because it almost at first feels like he's reluctant to heal her because he and his disciples are kind of resting. They're in a time of rest, But in reality, he's allowing her to reveal her faith. But this time, and it takes him out of that. It's an interruption into that time. There's a miracle. What was his very first miracle recorded in Scripture? 
turning the water into wine at the wedding, right? And they were like, oh, you know, his mother wanted him to, to do something, do a miracle. And he told his mother there wasn't time for that. It wasn't the time for that. that it's not what he was there for. He does it anyway because it's his mom, right? Takes him out of his schedule, his agenda. One time he had to stop a sermon in mid-sentence. He's, it says he's teaching and a guy just runs, a religious leader runs up to him just crying because his child had just died. And did he say, back off. I'm like quoting scripture here. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of a sermon. No, he gets up, he goes, he heals the daughter of the, chi- of the religious leader. You remember the story of the 5,000, where he fed the 5,000? Everybody knows that story? Well, if you look at the beginning of that story, he's trying to get away. He was going for a time of rest. He was actually going to, to mourn. He had just heard John the Baptist was, had just been killed. And he wanted to get away, some time alone, just some, just some me time, right? But the 5,000, they, they're following him. They, they, they want more. They want more Jesus. And so he stops, he turns, he teaches them, and he feeds them all, right? It's an amazing thing. Now, some of you will hear this and you'll be inspired. Yeah, okay, there's, yeah, I can schedule more uh, margin into my life. Some of you are feeling anxious, right? Because you're thinking, my, my day's already completely full. And, and this, so here's what I want you to hear. You can only live this way if, and in a healthy way where it doesn't completely drain you if you're living with margin planned into your day. You gotta have some margin to give away, Right? Uh, if you're already trying to jam-pack every moment with stuff, with activities, with this, with that, work, play, all this kind of stuff, you're living life to the edge of the paper. You are going to blow when someone comes along your way and God says, hey, go say a word to that person at the grocery store. Hey, go over there and just, just say, are you okay? Or can I pray for you? Or something like that. You're going to be like, I'm already living at the edge. No, I don't have time for that, right? I'm going to be out of the grocery store in three minutes or I'll, I'll, you know, I'll ruin my record. It's impossible for us to re-gift ourselves. We cannot re-gift ourselves. So if you're living that way, it's not God's fault. It's not, it's not God's fault that you're not living with Sabbath baked into your week. You have, to, you have to make that decision. Don't avoid interruptions. Plan for them. Plan for them. And watch God do some of his greatest work in those unscheduled moments where you are gifting yourself to others. Plan for interruptions. Number two, if you don't have time to pray or read scripture as a family, then you need to say no, perhaps to some good things, so that you can have time for the best things. Our family is our first experience of church. Family, home family, is our first experience of church. If you find that you are too busy doing even many wonderful things, but you don't have time to pray together, to read scripture together, to talk about God together, talk about the things of God as a family, then something is amiss. We don't just take our kids, you know, to church on Sunday and drop them off at Kids World to, to farm out the discipleship of our kids to someone else. Amen. Our homes should be our family's first experience of church. Amen? So make time. 
And that's going to be a hard thing, I know, for some of us. It's going to be hard. We've got to sit down. We've got to begin to cut away wonderful things. I know they're all wonderful things. You have to cut away some things so that we can have something even better. And it's challenging, I know. We just, we just have too much stuff. We have too much distraction, right? We have too much opportunity for distraction. It's just it's our culture. You know, I'm sorry. Maybe other cultures don't have the same burden you have. First world problems, you know, I'm so sorry, my sympathies. But we've got to intentionally cut things away. Uh, by the way, if, you, if you're interested in this, if this kind of is ringing in your heart, something you want to go deeper into, this idea of radically simplifying your life uh, so, so that you can actually reflect God's best for, for your family and for you, I encourage you to go back and listen to the series we taught. It's about two years old. It's back in 2017, the beginning, called Simplicity. It's a five-week series we did. We really went deep into this, this radical call to decluttering our lives, to live more like Jesus. It was a good series. I encourage you to go back, check out the podcast, or go online. Look at that. Um, get your Marie Kondo on, uh, spiritually speaking. Okay. If you know who she is. If you don't know who she is, don't worry about it. Okay. Number three, commit to the practice of togethering with your spiritual family. Okay, so now we're talking about our spiritual family. It's very important that each of us here are physically moving toward one another to be family together, to make decisions together, in conversation together, so that we can do outreach together. We have to be moving forward. That's, that's going to start, number one, with a commitment to Generations Church. If... If this is your church, and if not, you know, if generations, if you, maybe you've been coming here for a while and you've kind of been sitting on the fence, uh, we, if generations is not the church for you, and it's not the church for everybody, but we want to help you find a church where you can be fully committed to the spiritual practice of togethering. I, I mean that. I, I mean that with my whole heart. Some people come to me and they say, I like generations. I, got, I like these 10 things about generations. Um, I've got 10 reasons why I go here, but I also got these 10 reasons why, you know, I, I can't really fully commit. Well, I either want to help those 10 good reasons why you go here win, or, or let's look at those 10 reasons why you can't commit and, and help you find another church, right? Uh, and, and very often what I'll do is I'll say, okay, well, finish this sentence. I like everything about generations except, right? Uh, maybe, but I wish it were more whatever, fill in the blank. You know, I wish it were more liturgical or I wish it were more charismatic. I wish the pastor were a snappier dresser or something like that, whatever. And, and I, generally, I generally want to help you. I can, sit, I can help you find, there's some good churches around and we are partners and we love and uh, help you find that, that pastor who dresses better than me. But, um, <laughs> but see, if you're just coming and you've got these reasons, you've got the 10 reasons over here and you've got the 10 reasons over here, so you're just sitting on the side and you're just kind of doing this week after week after week. You're kind of hanging out in limbo, showing up on Sunday mornings. That's not healthy. It's not what the Bible calls us into. It's not God's best. I'm not condemning you. It's just not God's best for you. It's not his best. That's not church. So I either want to help you find a place where you can fully engage, or even better, fully engage right here where God has brought you. He's apparently brought you here for a reason. Let's fully engage. Let's, let's do church. Let's do life. Amen? So here's how... Here at Generations, we're, we are structured for family-style relationships. And it starts on Sunday morning. It starts right here, right? Check. You, you did good. Wait. Way to go. You're here on Sunday. You're at, you're at first base already. Way to go. But here's what we want to do. We want to lean in past Sunday morning church. We want to take that next step into family. 
in the form of home life or in the form of one of our other small groups. We have a Wednesday night Bible study. It's really good. Our young adults have the bridge. Our teens regenerate back there. There's a group that meets at IHOP on Saturdays for Bible study. Mike leads that. A good group, these groups that get together. And, and then what happens after that? Well, then, because usually that's often up to, you know, 15, 12, 15, 18 people or something like that. You know, so it's, it's, we're, we're now we're able to get a little more intimate. But that's still kind of a lot of people. So after that, then we've, we've got this more intimate circle of three to five people. What you do, you, those are the people you get face-to-face with and sharpening each other, holding each other accountable, praying and leaning on in tough times, the times you, you celebrate with them in times of blessing. And understand, I'm not just talking about your best bud that you hang out with because you feel really comfortable with them and they enjoy the same flavor chicken wings that you do. I'm talking about these are the people that, that you huddle up with, intimately walking out your faith with them. That small circle with whom you develop a more, uh, a more intimate, accountable relationship. That's an accountable relationship. And then lastly on this list, is fellowship, and that is important. Fellowship, that's the meals, that's, that's the celebrations, the movies, whatever you go to with, inviting people from outside your immediate circles over to experience family with you. And most often, it is literally a meal. It's the table, right? You come, you invite them to the table, not in a metaphorical sense, in a real sense. Invite them to the table, invite them over for those celebrations. And I say movies, too, because uh, I'll just be, you know, real with you. Uh, there's sometimes where we're, those nights where we're feeling introverted. Does anybody have those nights? Uh, sometimes I just need to recharge, and I love to recharge by being with folks and not saying a whole lot, right? I talk a lot on Sunday morning. Sometimes I just like to be with people and not say a whole lot, right? And so movies are great for that. I, I think sometimes when we hear this, some of you out there, I know what you're thinking. You, you hear, we got to be family, and you instantly think that means we all get together, we're just going to like clasp hands, and I'm just going to, Wayne, I'm just going to look longingly into your eyes. 20, 20 uninterrupted minutes, and I'm going to say, how, how are you doing? No, really, how are you doing? And for some of us, that just drains us, right? For some, right? It's not always that. Family is where you go. And, you know, you, you tell some jokes, you laugh a bit, and you hang out. And when you have a crisis, yeah, you get real with each other. And you're like, man, what's going on? And, and you have that intense conversation. Or you have good Bible study, and you talk about the scriptures. That's cool. But every day is not the intensity of mining each other's souls, right? You don't have to do that all the time. Uh, some days it's just fun. Um, you watch movies, you, do, you go out together, you create a family that's doing life together. That's the point, we're doing life together. And sometimes we have people over at our house, and sometimes we have real serious conversations, and those are, those are awesome, and we really get to, uh, the Lord just moves in beautiful ways. And sometimes we have people over, and we just have fun. You know, we just talk and have fun, and the Lord moves in those times too. It, you know, when, when we're blessed by that, we're blessed. Uh, I say it this way, when we're doing family together, sometimes it's face-to-face, and sometimes it's shoulder to shoulder. When you're, it's just like your family. Sometimes you're face to face, sometimes you're shoulder to shoulder. And both are important. Now, let me say this too. Jesus says that when you have these times of celebration, when you're around the table, make sure you invite the people who really need it. He says in Luke 14, don't just invite the rich people. Don't just invite the people 
uh, who benefit, you benefit from them being over. They're well connected, you know, or maybe they make you laugh. Whatever. Don't just invite those people. Make sure you invite the people who really need it. Your time is a gift, so re-gift yourself. Re-gift yourself. I want to pray for us today that we are inspired this morning by the Holy Spirit to get real and apply this to our life. You're going to talk some more about this in your home life groups today, or this week, sorry. If you're not in a home life or other small group, or especially if you don't have time for one evening devoted to small groups, I want to ask you to ask God what you can say no to so that you can say yes to family. Ask him, what do I need to say no to so that I can say yes to family? Because that's how church is to be experienced. Amen? Holy Spirit, I thank you for being here with us. We ask you to open up our eyes to see what needs to be changed. Convict our hearts, Lord. Give us courage to act on what you show us. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to do it alone. We have each other. We can talk with each other. We do it with your help, with your encouragement. Spirit, speak to us. Guide us. And we thank you that we are not walking alone. No one walks alone. We get to do this with family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much. If, uh, if you have anything in the world that you need someone to pray with you about, these prayer partners are down here at the front. The thing they want most in the world is for you to let them know what's going on in your life so they can stand with you in faith, pray a prayer with you. And we believe things change when that happens. God is a, is a beautiful, gift-giving God. It's in his nature to give gifts. If you've never met Jesus before and you, you're interested, and how do I take that next step and follow Jesus? If you'll come forward, They would love to just tell you what the next step is and pray with you and invite Jesus to move mightily in your life today. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.